0: Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord, Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons passed before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all your sons you have? They are still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him, this is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Here ends the reading.
1: Amen. Thank you, Julia. See the title of the message there is, When to Move On. When to move on and how to move on are questions asked by grievers every day. Every day, year after year, because the grief continues and may persist. I even heard one parishioner tell me one time that when their mother passed away years and years ago, that the death of his mother, that he grieved three years Three whole years he grieved the death of his mother before he felt that he could move on and before he could be at peace with what his daily routine was. And, 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 you know, he had a wife and he had kids and he was a school teacher. But yet he had grieved for three years. And each and every one of you would have your own stories unique to yourself and, and your own grief and your own loss. So we pick up in this Scripture reading here today. You know this story. You've heard it many times if you've been in church very long at all. God sends Samuel to the house of Jesse. And while at the house of Jesse, God will direct Samuel to anoint the next king. Jesse, you see, is the son of Obed, who was the son of Ruth and Boaz. Again, what do we learn here? How Jesus is connected through the line of King David. But again, we continue to learn how God has this whole plan, the whole plan from then to now and beyond now, a whole plan for all things that will be revealed in God's time and only in God's time, a plan to fulfill the eternal plan of salvation for people and people that God loves. And it will take place according to God and according to his timing. So here God is. He's talking to Samuel. And he's making it clear to Samuel that the next king, the next king, will be of God's choosing and only of God's choosing. No one else. Not even Samuel. But Samuel is going to be the one that anoints the next king. And we read that in verse 1 and that is where our focus will be today because you know the rest of the story well. We find Samuel... He is dragging his feet. He is slow to get going. He thinks that Saul is going to come, maybe kill him and stop him from anointing the next king. He has this hesitation to follow what God has told him to do. He's hesitating this change in the kingdom of God's people. He's hesitating this change of leadership. Samuel was concerned that bad things will happen and the change will not go well. But the Lord said to Samuel, how long? Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? There's other translations, and this is why he jumped out at me. and said, how long will you grieve for Saul? How long are you going to grieve for Saul, Samuel? I am the one, I, God, I am the one that rejected Saul as no longer king over Israel. You want to read more about the rejection, God rejecting Saul, and God's continued conversation with Samuel? Go back and read chapter 15. Read there in chapter 15 more about it. But it is here that God's saying, come on, Samuel, it's time to go. Go. And Samuel gets all the directions. He gets the horn. He gets the anointing oil. He knows where to go. And you know the story. And it ends up, the shepherd boy, called David in from the fields, from the pasture. Get him in here. God wants to see him and bring him before Samuel because he is the next chosen king. And you know those things. But getting back to Samuel... Samuel is feeling the weight of grief and sorrow. No matter how much Samuel still liked Saul, or maybe he disliked Saul, and you read more about that in chapter 15, but in God's eyes, it was over. It was over for Saul. He was done. He had his opportunity. And you read there in chapter 15, he was no longer obeying what God had told him. He wasn't killing the people he used to kill. He wasn't taking care of the nations that he was supposed to eliminate. He was letting them live. He was was looting and he was taking the goods instead of destroying what God had told him to destroy. And there in chapter 15, verse 10, I just want to share this with you. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, this is God speaking, and God says, I greatly regret... That I have set up Saul as king. For he has turned his back from following following me. That's God speaking. And has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel. And he cried out to the Lord all night long. Not Saul... Saul, the one's not following directions. Saul, the king, that's not doing what God said, but Samuel. Samuel, like a parent, like a dad, like a mother, would grieve through the night for the things that their children do that are things they shouldn't be doing. And they're not following directions. So parents, I know your grief and I know your heartache and struggle, because I am a parent as well. And Samuel, he cries through the night, crying out to the Lord. Samuel knew that he had to break the news to King Saul. King Saul, you are no longer, you are no longer God's man. You are no longer the main man, King Saul. You are no longer going to be king over God's people. And Samuel, he's filled with grief and heartache and sorrow. And as he cries the night away, the time comes that he has to get going. He has to deliver the message to Saul. And it goes into chapter 16. And God has had enough. He's like, come on, Samuel. You've been grieving. I know this is painful. This is hard. But God, more or less, is saying, okay, now, I'm with you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you all the directions. I'm going to give you everything you need. It will be a hard message to deliver, but you can do it, Samuel. It is time to get on with the new king. It is time to get on to the next chapter of ministry and what I want done for my people or what I want the church to do next. God's saying, let's get at it. God knows we all need time to grieve. We all need that time to say goodbye. And that's why as parents we tell our kids, get over there and give grandma and grandma, grandpa and grandma a hug and kiss goodbye. That's why we tell our kids when they start driving and they touch our hearts, we leave one family, get together, and we see, they go and they stop and they visit the other grandparents on their way home And it just warms your heart for a moment. Um, maybe, Maybe they are our kids and we do love them and appreciate that they're taking some ownership of their family and they stop to see their other grandparents. God knows we need time to grieve. But there will be a time when God will say, come on now, let's get back to business. There's ministry to do. There's people before us that need to hear about Jesus. There's a congregation that needs to be led and needs to be led with spiritual growth. Otterbine of Navarre, let us join together in that type of commitment. I ask and I invite you to join me in that type of commitment of seeking the Lord, to growing spiritually like we've never done before, in new ways and whatever that will look like. I invite you to join me in praying for the Spirit to lead us in a revival. Right here, right now. Why not? It's happening in other places and happens around the world. It's happened in other other centuries. Why not now? Why not for Otterbein of Navarre to experience a revival in each and every one of us and in this body of believers and in this community like never before? But it does begin. We've got to deal with some of our grief. Yes, there are churches disaffiliating. Yes, there's people leaving them, going other directions, splitting families apart. Yes, we know what it means for people to leave. We all know what it means for when we left home. I remember when the day when Angie and I was leaving the home church that I grew up in. We felt God was calling us to be a, a husband and wife, newly married, three or four years. But Calling us to go forth in the Sunday school class I was in. The Sunday school teacher, it was an adult class, and her name was Marge Henry. She'd been in that church her whole life, and she was just uh, hated to see us go. But there, another lady across the room. Her name was June. She's like, "This is what we raised them for—to go into the world and to be Christians to share the gospel and share the light of Christ." I remember those days. I remember leaving the church after getting that first appointment, leaving that church in Sycamore to go and serve. What did we leave? We were leaving a hole. I had been Sunday school teacher, SPRC chair. Angie was secretary. She was the treasurer. And we are now leaving to go serve the Lord in another appointment, two other churches for that church, the Sycamore church at that point in time needed to fill the hole, fill the gap. Who's going to be the new secretary? Who's going to be the new treasurer? And Angie worked with that new person and helped get their feet under them so they could be those things. You turn the reins over to that adult Sunday school class for someone else to teach and lead. And as we experience those things as, as the church here, God's going to He's going to give us the direction. He's going to give us the leaders that we need. But yet, it takes all of us saying, we're in. We're in this for the Lord. We're in this for the Lord. Because there is ministry still to be done. We all need ministered to, because there's not one person here that I found out is totally perfect, right? We all still need ministered to through God's Word and through prayer and through... Uh, Bible study and direction. I reached out to um, a friend, a teacher, and a trainer of the grief recovery method. Uh, Her name was Lois Hall. She's the one that trained uh, my group. She trains lots of groups to be grief recovery specialists, to take back to their church and their home, their communities, to share the grief recovery method. And I reached out to her and told her about uh, what was happening and she's seen it too. Uh, she's a member of the Messiah United Methodist Church of Westerville, Ohio. And, and I asked her, is, is there a video out there uh, within the grief recovery resources about uh, people leaving? And she's like, I don't know anything off the top of my head, but let me do one for you. So she did a video by request. And I'm going to share it. And she warned me that, you know, I'm like two or three minutes. She's like, oh, I'm wordy. So what she sent me, 7 minutes and 30 seconds. But it's all good. So Mike's going to play this video for us. And I just want you to listen to what she has to say. This is Lois Hall.
2: Hi, I'm Lois Hall, a grief recovery method specialist and a lifelong United Methodist. Above that, I prefer to refer to myself as a follower of Christ. The Grief Recovery Method is not a religious program. No Bible, Torah, or Koran verses or teachings appear in the program. That being said, I believe the program can be a very spiritual experience. I love it. I've been teaching it for almost 25 years now in my community and in my church. I've been asked to talk a bit about the current grief elephant in the middle of the room in many of our congregations. The idea that some individuals, and in some cases entire congregations, are disaffiliating with the United Methodist Church. Is this a grieving situation for us? You bet it is, absolutely. But no one seems to be seeing it that way, or better still, talking about it. We are a grieving denomination, and we've been grieving over this topic for many years. But just like with other griefs, we haven't talked about it hoping it would just go away or would just work itself out. The time has come to talk about it. In the grief recovery method, we define grief in a couple of ways. The normal and natural response to change or loss of any kind. Have we seen change in our denomination over the past years? Yes, some that some of us are happy about and others not so happy. Grief is also the response to the loss of hopes, dreams, and expectations, wishing things were different, better, or more. Does our current situation fit into those categories? Yes. No one hoped or expected that we'd be at this place where such a major movement is asking people and congregations to decide whether to stay or leave the denomination. We all probably wish things were different or better between those of us with differing beliefs and opinions. So here we are, grieving the divisiveness in our midst, not just in those churches over there or in other states, but right here in our very congregation, perhaps. For me, I'm sad, I'm disappointed, I'm concerned, and sometimes I'm downright angry with how the people or the powers that be are handling these controversial, sensitive, personal issues. It wouldn't bother me so much if the arguments were about whether to require stained glass windows in our churches or whether we had to use only the songs in the United Methodist Church hymnal. Windows and hymnals can't be hurt, but in this case, people can and are being hurt. In the church? Yes, in our church our community, and sometimes even within our extended family. Perhaps people are being hurt, and that hurts me the most. This is not what a follower of Christ hopes or expects to happen in our church family. So what does the Grief Recovery Method have to say about this type of grief? Grief is about relationships, usually with people, but also with organizations. A hallmark of the United Methodist Church is our connectional relationship our connectional tradition. Not just being insular congregations controlling our own futures, but in connection with all the other UMC churches in our communities, our districts, our conference, and literally around the world. The apportionments we pay go to help maintain that connection so that when one has less, the others help support and lift them up. We're connected in ministry and mission. I like that about the United Methodist Church. We're connected. We're in relationship. The current move by some to disaffiliate and start another group to disconnect from the rest of us, it's sad. It's disappointing. And the purported reason is hurtful to individuals, to families, and to friends. And I believe to God. So if there's a grief recovery method class starting, you might want to check it out to learn how to address these relationship changes with the individuals in your congregation or your family who have different beliefs and opinions than you do. In the grief recovery method, we look at the whole relationship and we identify important things we need to say to those we love. We identify what our own responsibilities are in that situation. What might we have done differently, better or more to help understand the others, to try to preserve our relationships, even in the midst of different beliefs and opinions. We help identify what might need to be said about our relationship and we help deliver those thought-out communications in a safe, non-judgmental setting. We talk about forgiveness, apologies, and just other important emotional stuff. Stopping to think before we speak. Being gracious, even to those who don't have a clue how much grace they require. I believe there is a role for us, for our congregations and our denomination in this conversation, both before or after the disconnection happens, to be at peace with whatever direction people or congregations decide to go. And while the grief recovery method is not a religious program, I am a follower of Christ. So I also want to share what I believe is asked of us from that perspective. This won't be news to you, But here are just a few places I believe the answer lies for us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love. Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life. These things remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Love, seek justice. Love mercy and walk humbly with your God. Love mercy. And the most direct and simply stated of all, love one another. Love one another. Therein lies the real answer to how we should all proceed in these difficult times. Love one another. Don't let the current atmosphere of divisiveness divide you. Love one another. See if you can learn to use the grief recovery method skills to help you learn how to do this even when you're sad, disappointed, or even angry. Don't let the move to disaffiliate divide you from those you love. In your family, your community, your congregation, we're still more alike than we are different. And I hope you'll find the grace to help us all come out on the other side of this situation and this time in our history, for me, Using my grief recovery method skills helps me every single day to continue to have hope. I hope this helps you find hope also. Just love one another.
1: Thanks.: Appreciate Lois doing that for me and sharing it with you today. So as the Audubine now Methodist Church in Navarre a couple of things I want to share with you, a couple of things I ask that you pray for and that we can work together and come together with. First, since Wednesday when I mentioned that I was willing to begin a grief recovery class uh, after Easter, I have two definite individuals that want to join be part of that class and two more saying that they possibly would like to be a part of it. After Easter, we will uh, begin our meetings with our coach uh, working through the seven dimensions of congregational vitality, all are invited, the whole congregation, you are invited, and there's the expectation that many of you will be a part of either the grief, getting this group, getting coached up with our congregation, but also in May, I'm going to do a little transition with our Wednesday night prayer vesper. i uh, will going to give it a new twist Turn it into a, a, a little more a Bible study feel and focus, but continue with that prayer. Be a part of it. And that will begin in May. And in May, I'm going to do a Bible study. It's titled The Mayberry Bible Study. So we're going to get to know Aunt Bee, Andy, and Opie, and the, the characters from, from Mayberry a little bit better. And in this first four-week study, uh, we're going to look at service, we're going to look at peace, mercy, and commitment, and that will begin in May. So the Mayberry study in May, but in April, we're going to begin this grief recovery class because we've got, we got to deal with this grief before we can lead others. We to, then we're going to begin our coaching, and this coach is going to help us see where we're at as a church and ministry and help us. Get a vision to going forward. So stay tuned. More details will come. pray, Pray about these things that are before us. So let me pray. We'll have our closing hymn and then offer a prayer to bless our meal together. So let us pray. Father God, your word has so much to say to us and when it comes and your timing, it is so powerful. And Lord, I am confident in the timing of of these things that are coming up uh, in the next uh, three to six months. Uh, we get this grief recovery method class to the individuals uh, needing this. we will get going with our coach to give us direction and help us vision and help, help us to see the God's vision and God's mission for this church for us going forward. And for us as a church, and I mean as a church, to uh, get into Bible study where we are learning About commitment, mercy, and peace, and service, just to begin with, digging deep so that our spiritual understanding would be unlike it's ever been as a body of Christ here at Otterbein. So, Lord, I pray and ask for the Holy Spirit's leading, and I pray and I give thanks because the Spirit will lead us in the name of Jesus. This I pray. Amen. Would you stand?